What do I smell? Is, is, is that pumpkin spice latte? I know fall, fall is officially a couple weeks off still, but I think Starbucks actually dictates when fall starts because pumpkin spice lattes are out, right? <laughs> Who has? Somebody has? Um, hey, good morning, guys. Good to see you. Uh, it's, it's great. I tell you, thank you, Cindy, for that psalm and guys' worship. Uh, Tucker, that last psalm, man, that, that's a good song. I like that. Uh, most of you guys know me somewhat, and, you know, I'm I'm something of an introvert, and so, you know, staying home, I thought, what, well, no big deal, right? I, if I got some books and some music, I'm okay. But I'll be honest, uh, just worshiping together, I miss that a lot. I mean, we would, week after week, Don and I would sit on the couch with the computer and... Uh, it just wasn't the same. So it's, it is precious to be here with you guys, man. That is something good. Um, I want to start a, a new teaching series today. Uh, it's been on my heart and my mind a lot over the last couple of months, and so I'm kind of excited because I really believe that over the course of this series, God's going to speak to us. It's uh, in the book of Ruth, the Old Testament book of Ruth. It's been one of my favorites for a long time. I, I remember... Uh, probably late 70s, might have been 1980, but probably late 70s, sitting in the gym listening to John Wimber teach through the book of Ruth. And I was kind of familiar with it. I'd heard it before, read it probably, you know, somewhat loosely. But uh, just listening to John, I, I just was was compelled by the story and the depth of um, interaction Person to person and person to God in that. So uh, I'm I'm I've been looking forward to this. I I uh, I think I think it'll be fun. I hope you guys get as much out of it as I am. Uh, that's always the goal, I suppose. Uh, it's going to do this a little differently than we've ever done anything before, or than I've ever done anything before, because it's going to be expository. I'm going to teach verse by verse through the book, but it's also going to be topical. So at different intervals throughout, we will take a break. So it's going to be both um, expository and topical at the same time. This morning, we're not really going to get into the text too much. Uh, it's really just introduction. I, I want to uh, kind of set the context a little bit and talk about some of those things that uh, the Book of Ruth brings up, and hopefully uh, they'll get on it. So let's pray. Jesus, thanks so much for uh, your word and your goodness and the, just the opportunity to be together here in this room and worship today. Thank you so much. Uh, oh, thank you, sir. <laughs> um, just ask you to open your word to us and, and, and bless it and uh, strengthen our lives and our bodies. And be with those that aren't here today. Uh, we just thank you for our church and our family in your name. Amen. Which, by the way, um, if I'm not mistaken, you guys can correct me if I'm wrong. Service will be up online immediately following this morning. By next week, what we're going to get, the reason we're not streaming live is the Wi-Fi in this room is terrible, uh, but we're getting it boosted. Com Comcast is going to put a separate signal here. So by next Sunday, I believe we'll be able to stream live for those that, that can't be here in person. Hopefully that's the um, Ruth has, uh, the book of Ruth has in it, one, one of the, so this is uh, our title, if I can, there we go. Finding God in the Margins is the title. It's really about 
looking for God in unusual places, kind of the marginalized society. You'll see that come out a lot. Uh, in, the, in the context of the book of Ruth is probably one of the most uh, known quoted passages in scripture, scripture in uh, chapter 1. I'm going to read off the screen. It says, where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, even death separates you and me. Beautiful passage of devotion that is uh, used fairly frequently in weddings. I believe, at least on one or two occasions, I have used that scripture in a wedding ceremony. In the context of the original passage, though, it is not romantic at all. It's actually spoken by a young Moabite woman, and we will talk uh, a little bit more about who the Moabites were as we go, but it's spoken by a young Moabite woman to her aging Jewish mother-in-law. So not romantic at all, but nonetheless, um, a tremendous statement of devotion and Ruth really is a story of devotion and commitment, but there's, and as you'll see, there's so much more there than, than simply that. Um, so just a little bit of background. The author and the date of Ruth are unknown. Nobody knows who wrote it. Speculation is possibly Samuel, but that's just speculation. Don't know when it was written, um, but it, it, the, the setting is, as you'll see in the beginning when we get to it next week, is the days when the judges ruled. And um, if you've ever done an Old Testament study and read through Judges, you know that the days when the judges ruled were a very, very dark, dark time in Israel's history. Probably, questionably, one of the darkest times in their entire history. That was, it was roughly a 400-year period of time, beginning about 1400 B.C., stretching up to about 1000 B.C., pre-monarchy, before David and Saul and the kings. Uh, just before that, judges were these people, this succession of people that God appointed to sort of give direction and help Israel guide them sort of as they walked out their lives. Uh, it did not go well. The people of Israel continued to rebel. There, there are two uh, phrases that are repeated throughout the book of Judges that really define this period of time uh, pretty powerfully. This is from Judges chapter 2, but again, this exact same phrase is repeated uh, five or six times. It's like a cycle over and over in the course of the book. It says this, after that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, another generation grew up who neither knew the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. And then the Israelites did evil in the sight of the, the Lord and served the Baals. They forsook the Lord, the God of their ancestors, who had brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshipped various gods of the peoples around them. And this cycle of disobedience to God just happened over and over. Another phrase that defines this period of time, probably one of the most um, sad and painfully descriptive phrases in all of scripture says in those days Israel had no king and everyone did as they saw fit does that sound familiar to you at all it just seems to me um, the world we live in today kind of it's, it's all about what my rights are what I want to do and let me just say it didn't go well everyone doing what they want it didn't end well 
Um, but that's, that's not a good plan. It's, it's not a good plan. I think that we need to, as kingdom people, look at, first of all, uh, what does God say? Not what do I want, but what does God say? And second of all, how, how can I participate with him in his kingdom on earth and help bless others in the process? Um, so if we can learn anything uh, from the book of Ruth, it's that uh, everyone doing what they want isn't a good plan. There are, there are a number of, um, I think, very important contemporary issues that the book of Ruth speaks to. Uh, the first is this. It's a story of an immigrant living in a foreign land. Um, and they are driven out of their home to go somewhere else, in this case, because of a famine. And, and I want to say this, just for context, people don't immigrate, they don't leave their home for no reason. They, they are driven into that by some cause and frankly are heartbroken to have to do that. It's a heartbreaking decision to pack your bags and move from your country, your home, your family, your people, and go somewhere else. But the reality is this, that you do that because life where you are now is no longer sustainable. So there are a few things that cause that. One can be war. Sometimes there is a civil war or an external war that comes to a place and the civilian population is forced to leave so that they don't die. Other times, and in the world today, this is very common, it is famine, drought, uh, some natural circumstances that make life unsustainable. Other times, and again, this may be today with, with famine and drought right up there, but one of the reasons people immigrate the most often, and that is political oppression. Um, let me say this. No one ever wants to leave. No one wants to leave their home. They're, they're forced to do that. And I, I believe as kingdom people, it, it is upon us to consider that when we meet someone who is uh, an immigrant or a refugee. Uh, ask the question, and this has been on my heart all year, is you know, how did this person get here? But when we see that person that's an immigrant or refugee, ask what was it that led them to come to this place? Um, one example, I don't know. It's, it's all ancient history now. Uh, COVID has taken over the airways, but if you remember pre-COVID last year, what in the news every day was the caravan. Anybody remember the caravan? There were thousands and thousands of Central American refugees marching towards the United States. We were told that there were murderers, rapists, and unknown Middle Easterners, which is crazy because there's no Middle Easterners in Central America. But just anyway, um, those folks were uh, not. They were, they were from Honduras, El Salvador, and Nicaragua. That's where they were from. They were, they were from Costa Rica. I can guarantee you that. Um, Costa Rica is a very nice place to be. Uh, El Salvador and Honduras. Uh, El Salvador is the home of MS-13. It's, it's, it's the, the, the gangs run the country. I've been to all these places. Honduras is one of the most dangerous places in the world. I didn't tell you that before I went down. It's murder, highest murder rate in the world in Honduras. Um, also because of gangs. Uh, and then Nicaragua is a different story. In Nicaragua, there are no gangs. The government is the gang. So Nicaragua, um, Daniel Ortega is the president there. 
his wife is vice president. He has changed the laws so that he can become vice president in perpetuity. He'll never be voted out of office. And he rules with an iron fist. And uh, he is the classic, if you do any history, a classic Latin American dictator. If you think back to the 50s, 
so, so if you watch classic TV, watch any of the 50 television shows, the women in those shows, they always wore nice dresses and, and nice shoes and they had their makeup on and their hair done so that they could stay home and cook dinner. That was, that was what was expected of women. In the 60s, kind of the feminist movement was birthed and since the 60s we've been pushed back against that for equality, gender equality in our country. Today we have women CEOs and women governors and a woman running for vice president, which could never have happened in the past and certainly could not have happened in Ruth's time. In Ruth's time, a woman's worth was completely, totally, 100% uh, controlled by the men in her life. Her husband and her job was to have children, but not just to have children, to have sons. Uh, a woman's worth, her value was lowered is dropped if she had girls, and which is weird because I, I think it's the male girls that determines the sex of the child. But in that day, they believed if she had girls, that not so good. You might want to get a different wife because her job was to give sons, and her value and worth as a person was completely attached to her husband and her sons. Ruth is one of only um, two two books in Scripture that whose title bears the name of a woman, Ruth Nestor. But it's, it serves to remind us of this. Jesus didn't come to give us a kinder, gentler patriarchy, ladies. Uh, Jesus came and said, my kingdom is not of this world. So to be kingdom people means that we are we live counterculturally. We're committed to equality for everybody across the board the same, regardless of who they are. That's what it means to be a kingdom person, to live in the presence of God and to follow Jesus. It really does mean that. Um, Ruth is a testimony to one of the most profound truths in all scripture, and that is that the heart of God is always for the most vulnerable. Time and time again, all throughout scripture, we, we read about the widow, the orphan, and the foreigner. And it's, it's interesting to me because Ruth is all three. She's a widow, an orphan, and a foreigner. And, and in some ways, to me, Ruth is a prototype of the gospel. It's, 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 a, it's looking forward to the gospel because she represents all of the Muslim people and the hand of God's on her life. Um, as I mentioned, the book takes place in a very dark time in Israel's history. And um, God's at work in the midst of the darkness. And I think that's 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 really the the theme of Ruth, the, the Ruth that we want to see throughout is that God is at work. And I think it's important, it's just a message for us today. Uh, regardless of circumstances, regardless of what's going on in life, God is always at work in very small, quiet ways. God is moving and working, and he's working through his people. And another thing that I think the book of Ruth testifies to is the fact that God works through ordinary people. He works through kings and heroes, but he, but he also works through widows and orphans. He, 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 he works through men and women. He, he works through the strong. He works through the weak. He works through the frail. Uh, the kingdom of God is no respecter of persons. And even in the darkest of times, regardless of what's happening in, in the world today, in our country today, God's at work. And I, I, I really challenge you to, to look for that and to look and see where's what's God doing? What's he up to? Where, where, where is he working today? Um, Ruth is Ruth is about the real world, okay? It's not a Pentecostal pep rally. Um, you know, praise Jesus, hallelujah, amen. Um, which I, I'm so tired of that. 
God, God, God is the work in the real world, okay? Uh, Ruth deals with pain, it deals with tragedy, it deals with loss, it deals with grief, and God's right there in the midst of it. And one of the things that we'll explore in the context of the book of Ruth is the theology of suffering. Suffering. Where is God when it hurts? I, I don't know. I put quotes up by other people a lot, and somebody told me once I should put my own quotes up, so I'm quoting myself today. Thank you. It's my personal belief that this is the single most important question to ask and to answer today. Further, that the answer is the key to the move of God. Revivalists will preach and proclaim an unprecedented move of God sweeping across the nation, but the cry in the heart of people that will unlock the heart of God is where is he in my pain? I believe that looking into where is God in the midst of the hardship, the dark time, the pain is the answer to, to really coming into a place of revival for, with Him. I, I really believe that. I don't believe it's a it's a Pentecostal death rally. Sorry. Amen. Thank you. Somebody agrees. Uh, one of the tra tragedies, Ruth, although. Probably not the worst one, but it's certainly one that's at the forefront, and we will look at it again further as we go, is the issue of famine. Ruth and her family are driven out of their home to another place because of famine. Uh, it's, a, it's a lack of food. That's a little hard for us to relate to, to be honest. We might say, look, I'm famished. You may have said that. I'm famished. Uh, I'm starving. I haven't eaten since breakfast. Holy Moses, man. You know, it's been four hours. Uh, but, but we are largely so far removed from that that we have no concept. I want to look at this definition here. This is from our friends at Mercy Corps here in Portland. The simplest definition of famine is the extreme shortage of food, but the devastation produced causes more than hunger. For a hunger crisis to be considered serious enough to be defined as a famine, certain specific, specific criteria need to be met. These are the, this is the criteria. Famine is declared in an area where one in five households or more lack adequate food and other basic needs and acute nutrition is greater than 30%. Meaning people are underway and unable to access and eat enough nutritious food. In these situations, starvation and death are evident by the time a famine has been declared. People are already dying of hunger. There are two deaths per 10,000 people every day or four child deaths per 10,000 children every day. This is important because uh, the, the reality is that today, right now, regardless of, of how well fed we are, uh, the world is in the largest food crisis in over 70 years, that there are 76 million people in the world today, right now, that are in need of emergency food assistance. And if you do the 76 million, so if you do the math, that means that 7,600 children die every day because they don't have enough food. There are uh, another uh, a number of other tragedies and heartbreaks uh, that take place in the course of the Book of Ruth: uh, the death of loved ones, the pain of infertility, uh, the, the the uncertainty of dislocation. Uh, when you're dislocated from where you live, you, you don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. But uh, we, we'll wrap up. That's not bad news for one day. Uh, <laughs> it's not all bad news, actually. 
Ruth is this. Last thing. It, it's the, it is the story of, of being an engineer. It's, it's the story of walking out the presence of God in your life in the midst of whatever is out there. And I think that's the thing we need to hang on to. You know, in the midst of all of this, what you see in the book of Ruth is, is the miracle power of God working it into these people's lives. Uh, and it's, it's profound. And so it reminds me of this. And, and just I'll close if you guys want to stand. And then we're just going to pray and dismiss. If you, if you guys want to pray for each other, you can. I mean, I'm here. Supposed to, but I didn't wear your mask and pray. I don't care. Uh, just be safe. But here, John Wimber said Christianity is not a spectator sport. And the reality is this that it's, this is what I think about in Ruth is that we're all in the game. We're all in the game. And, and so we can do what we do to, 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 to bring a little bit of light and a little bit of life to somebody somewhere every day. That's what we can do. And we talked about. Famine, and we're we're not in famine, but one in five people in the state of Oregon is uh, there's a t- term for it, food or something like desert. That. What desert? I don't know. Food something. There's not enough, and so we you know every week for 23 or four weeks we didn't eat, we didn't do anything, but we our food pantry is open every week. It's still open every week. And I pray for us. Pray pray for our staff. Emma Shea's there for Michael Jordan. Pray for our other volunteers. It's such an eclectic crew. But uh, just pray for us because it's just a blessing to be able to be here and to, to serve our community in that way. So uh, just God God is here. He's, he's moving in Ruth's life and he's moving in our lives today. So Jesus, we thank you so much for this morning and the time to be together today. I uh, do pray for health and safety for, for those of us here and our families and friends and our families and friends across the country. Pray that you would be with us. Uh, throughout the day, that you walk with us from here as we go, that you continue to speak into our lives and, and present us with opportunities to be your image bearers and your ambassadors and, and be kingdom people uh, each and every day. In your name we pray. Amen. God bless you guys so, so, so good to see you. So good to see you.